that's another thing. How does the air manifest itself to us, make itself known to you? Anything else? Yeah, how about like clouds? Uh, yeah, in your breath when you can see it. Right, see it. Anything else? What is it? How about that? The trees are moving. There are things that we can see. There are things that we can feel. We can, if we want to become uh, aware of the air, you might just say, yep, there it is. I felt it. Went in, it went out. I don't know if you have ever tried to maintain an awareness of breathing your whole day long, but it's really hard to do. It's hard to maintain that awareness of the omnipresence of air. And so it is with God. It's hard to maintain that. But when we smell bread baking and it's coming up, we know that it's traveling along with that. We can taste a certain crispness into the air. There are sensory things that we can have that indicate to us that the air is there. But if all of a sudden the air was completely removed, what would happen? We would all be aware of that instantly. The lack of it. And if the presence of God were instantly removed from us, we would instantly be aware of that too. So we value the presence of God and not just the omnipresence of God, but he's there, he's there. We value the manifest presence of God. When it blows through, when it changes things, when we smell the sweetness of the bread of the presence of God, when we breathe in that life-giving breath, when a baby breathes in a first breath, all of those things we treasure as manifest of air, and so it is with God. We treasure the manifest presence. So I'm just going to talk us through a few things from Scripture, a few points that I have about the manifest presence, and then go through a few Scriptures, and then we'll be done. So the manifest presence of God is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. We might know that the omnipresence of God is always there, but the manifest presence, if you've never sensed it, you can be like, honestly, what you all had here this morning was great, but I never really have felt the manifest presence of God to me. It's like, well, it's worth waiting for. In Luke 2, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to him, as the, the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, The sovereign Lord has you have promised. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Simeon was waiting, waiting, waiting for the presence of God. And it was the literal manifest presence of God, physical form, 
come in the form and shape of a baby, and he got to see it. Just right after that is the passage about Anna the prophet, who was a widow, who was waiting, fasting. She was also blessed by seeing the manifest presence of baby Jesus in the temple. And she had dedicated her life to fasting and to prayer. And that positioning was honored with a manifest presence, awareness that this is the Savior, baby Mm -hmm. Jesus. He was old. He waited and he saw God, Emmanuel, God with us. But I wonder if this is what he expected, a baby redeemer. We know the disciples, they kind of look at Jesus. When are you going to save us? Like, you're coming in, you're the king, you're the new king, you're the Messiah, you're going to depose all the evil and, and reign. I wonder if this baby, he responded positively. He had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied over this baby. But I wonder if a baby was what he was expecting. So my second point is the manifest presence may be different than what you expect. So I don't know about you, but I know and I worship and I sing this song, these songs that we all do about the character of God and who we worship. And so oftentimes I'm focused in particularly on a characteristic of God. And I say, I know you, God, as healer. But what if he does not, is not manifesting himself as healer? If you know what's going on in my life right now, that I am before the Lord, in my mind, walking through my day, just petitioning God for healing, for healing for my mom, just petitioning. I know you as healer. He has not yet manifest himself Mm -hmm. as healer. I know God as provider. I can tell you stories about how he's provided. We have been waiting for a new vehicle to be provided for our family and most specifically for Jim's ministry and mission. So we're waiting on the Lord as provider. We're saying we're not going to rush to solve this problem ourselves, use our, use our credit to get the car that we need. We are going to wait on you, Lord, to manifest yourself. So we had kind of a few encounters that were leading us, like the Lord is going to provide for us in this way. And that way ended up following through in such epic proportion that it ended up costing us thousands of dollars. God didn't manifest himself as provider in that situation. And I don't know about you. You know God is Savior. And here is this person, and you're petitioning God. Will you save this person? You are Savior. Will you provide your salvation to this person? And he hasn't manifest himself in that way. And then... We know him as deliverer deliverer and comforter and all of those things. And I just want to come to you as my pastoral heart and say sometimes the manifest presence is different than what we expect. So I was going through, you know, petitioning the Lord for provision and for healing. And we're going to a a really important doctor's appointment. My mom is battling cancer. And this is a scan. Scan anxiety is a real thing. You have these scans every few months with cancer, and then you go in to see where you're at in the process. And you can see the symptoms, and that's kind of like, is this the writing on the wall? Is this, you know, things are really hard, I don't know. And you go into the the doctor's office, and as I'm blow-drying my hair with some kind of anxiety or expectation, even if you don't know it's there, 
blow drying my hair. And it was after our two weeks, three weeks ago when we'd had our corporate gathering. And I noticed when I'm blow drying my hair, I could hear the song come up in my head. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. But the, I just, that song was going through my head, just kind of low grade, and it came into my awareness. It manifested itself in my mind. And I just heard God really clearly say, I'm your friend, and I'm going with you. And he didn't show up as healer in that moment, and he didn't show up as provider in another moment. He says, what you need right now is a friend, and I'm going with you. And he said it in a way like, I could right now lean into the emotion of that, but the way he manifested himself was not only the right thing, but the right intensity. Like, I don't have time to cry right now. You know, I, like, let's go. Chop, chop. We're, we're doing this thing. And he came to me with compassion but strength. He says, we're going to do this. And that's how he manifested himself to me in that moment. It was different than what I expected. So now we have uh, Elijah. He also experienced God in an unexpected way. In 1 Kings, I'll just read you this story. The Lord said to Elijah, go stand in front of me on the mountain. I will pass by you. And then a very strong wind blew until it caused the mountains to fall apart. Are you kidding me? The, the, the mountains fell apart because of a wind? That's a big wind. And then large rocks began to break in front of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle, quiet sound. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his coat, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then a voice came to him and said, Elijah, why are you here? Elijah answered, Lord, God, all-powerful, I've always served you as well as I could. But the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you and destroyed the altars and killed your prophets and with swords. And I'm the only prophet left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Do you see, hear his anxiety in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said to him, go back on the road that leads to Damascus. Go back. I'm reading this in light of my experience with the Lord, which is uh, much minor, you know, my anxiety, and here's Elijah's anxiety. And maybe this is not the manifest presence that Elijah expected. God says, here I am. Look, the wind. Look, the earthquake. Look, all of these things. Still gentle, quiet strength. Now go back on the road and go back to Damascus. So we all have been watching this Asbury revival happening in this campus with these students. It's just amazing to watch and see. But as I'm preparing for this, I'm wondering how many of those students, if you asked them before the revival happened, what they expected or what they wanted God to manifest himself as or be. So I'm going to read you kind of long quote, but how God manifested himself. If you know any college students or young people what would they have been wanting from God? Maybe like me, I need God as provider. I need him to heal this relationship. Help me with this stress, this test, provision. I need these, all of these things in my life. Perhaps they were like me saying, this is the problem. I need the God, God to manifest himself in this solution. Perhaps. 
I don't know the people. But this is what actually happened. This is written by, it's excerpts from Professor McCall, and he is a theology professor at Asbury. He says, what we're experiencing now is an inexpressible deep sense of peace, wholeness, holiness, belonging, and love. Anyone who's witnessed it can agree that something unusual and unscripted is happening. As an analytic theologian, I am very weary of hype and very wary of manipulation. I come from a background, in particular revivalist segment of Methodist holiness tradition, where I've seen efforts to manufacture revivals and moves of the, the spirit that were sometimes not only hollow, but harmful, and I don't want anything to do with that. Truth be told, this is nothing like that. There is no pressure or hype. There's no manipulation. There's no high-pitched emotional fervor. To the contrary, it's been so far mostly calm and serene. The mix of hope and joy and peace is indescribable. It's strong, indeed, almost palpable, something they could feel. A vivid, incredibly powerful sense of shalom, peace. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is undeniably powerful, but also gentle. So these movements, if you look back, this is part of the quote, always exist in the middle of our cultural context, who we are. For example, the commissioning of Mount Hermon had overwhelming joy. There was zeal for the lost at Brownsville. There was acts of healing in Kansas, Kansas City. Tongues at the Azusa Street Revival. Each move of the Spirit, God clearly manifests himself in a specific way for that generation. I find it interesting that God would mark this Asbury outpouring with this. Listen to the things that God presented to these college students. A tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. A restorative sense of belonging for a generation. These college kids are COVID kids. With a generation in the midst of epidemic loneliness. An authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. A leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation that has been deeply hurt by abusive religious power. A focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. It feels as if God is personally meeting young adults in a way that is meaningful to them. And maybe it's not even the ways that they expect it. So manifest presence doesn't always come in the way that we expect. Now, here's another thing that I found a little bit surprising, but the manifest presence revealed all throughout Scripture is mostly unsolicited. We are not people who do rain dances to get God to show up. We aren't people that have to twirl around and work it up. We aren't people who have to focus off enough, stay long enough in order to get God to come. And then God shows up unsolicited to the most unremarkable people. Do you know, we always seem to want to think that God chooses special people. 
But God makes people special when he chooses them. God brings the special. He, he goes out of his way to choose ordinary people. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So when he chose Noah, he said, build an ark. Manifest present. Build an ark. Very unique. We can't duplicate that. Manifest presence. Oh, he told me to build an ark, just like Noah. Not happening. When he came to Abraham, he said, go to a land, have kids. Manifest presence. There are other things with Abraham. To Moses, well, he's tending sheep, actually probably running from God and checked out. God manifests himself in a burning bush. Not in the middle of this service. Peter, when he's fishing, Jesus comes and says, follow me. He's in the middle of his regular life. Paul, while he's persecuting Christians, encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. None of these people are whipping it up trying to get the manifest presence to come to them. The manifest presence of God all throughout Scripture is over and over and over and over and over again the grace of God that comes to people who are unexpected. It's wonderful. We can want it, and that's not wrong, but let's listen to Jacob's story. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, poor father, one of the patriarchs, he says he has a dream in the middle of the night. I don't know if any of you can plan your dreams. I've never been successful. So he has a dream in the middle of the night. He responds, and he hears this from God. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, afraid in a good way, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is heaven's gate. I was thinking of that song, your presence is heaven to me. Do -do, do -do, do -do. You know, you think, and I was thinking, what is that? It's like these people, when they experience the manifest presence of God, that physical location becomes a precious place to them. It is transformative when his presence comes. So, number four. So, God's manifest presence is worth waiting for. God's manifest presence comes unexpected a lot of times. God's manifest presence can come unsolicited. At Asbury, they weren't saying, we need to have a revival now. Today's the day for a revival. The, the gentleman who was giving the sermon said it wasn't that great of a sermon that he was preaching. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the, the sauce, the secret sauce came through the message, and then that's what the fire... Um, already comes, but, but it was just God's grace that he wanted to come. It was unsolicited. He came because he wanted to come. He wanted to present himself to these students. So the last point, there can be gaps between experience, the manifest presence of God. We don't live in the constant state of the awareness of the manifest presence of God. We don't live at that constant emotional high of tasting, seeing, feeling, experiences God's peace, his joy, his provision, his, his security. 
we want to experience that, that more and more. We might want to identify it. But let's listen to David. He wrote Psalm 63. He said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life's life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. At this point in time, David was dethroned by his son. He was running for his life. He had already fought all of the battles. He had risen to, and God had anointed him as king, and he had placed in the throne. He had had his family. His successor came, and Absalom had, had taken the throne from him, and he was running for his life. The people in the subsequent passage, if you read in 2 Samuel where this is happening, the people were weeping alongside of him. And he said, take the presence of God back to Jerusalem. And do you know where he was? He ran up, crying, dethroned, up to the Mount of Olives. And he was calling out to God. And I think of Jesus when he ran up, and he was also not the king of his rightful anointed place. And he was running across the valley of death. Jerusalem is here on a hill. The valley of Kidron, the valley of death. And the Mount of Olives looks right across here. And in that time of David, it's a wilderness place where everything promised, everything God had provided, everything God said he would provide is not tangible. It's not felt. Yeah. It's distant. And there are tears and insecurity. And what does David do? He writes this psalm and he says, take God back to the sanctuary. I have seen God. I have worshipped God in the sanctuary. I will praise him. God, you are my God in a dry and weary land where I don't experience the manifest presence of God. He's bringing God in. And so what I would say to you in that, those moments of I haven't felt the presence of God. I'm not feeling the presence of God. He's not manifesting himself in this way that is consistent with his promises, his character, his nature, and what he will do. When I'm in that in-between place, which all of us are to a certain degree, mm -hmm. what we do, that's when we exercise our faith. Yeah. Because faith is the substance of things that we hope for. Mm -hmm. Faith is that substance. That knowledge of who God is, that reflection on this is the character of God. I have seen him in the sanctuary. I have experienced his glory. I do know him as these things. I will praise him. I will lift my hands in praise to the God who has promised me that. And for those people who place their trust and their hope in God, the manifest presence is where we live for all eternity. Here Peter was, he walked up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he says, let's stay here, let's build our tent, this is what we need to be doing, this is where we want to live, is in the manifest presence of God. Everything's right here. And what did Jesus say? No. Got to go back down to the people. We've got to take the manifest presence to the people. So it's double-fisted faith that we have. We love God and we trust him when he manifests himself 
to us in precious ways. And he is, he has, he did for many of us this morning. He just spoke to us in a sweet, sweet way. But we trust God even if he does not. Because of who he is, because of what he has done, and because of what we know will be because of his great power and love for us. So we say double-fisted faith. Manifest your presence, O oh God. And he will. He does. He loves to meet with his people. Manifest your presence to God. But even if you do not, my faith says you are worth everything I've got. And I am going to follow you all the days of my life. So let's remember, manifest presence is worth waiting for. It's often not what you expect. It's mostly unsolicited. And it has gaps between encounters. But God has given, given us what we need. So my heart is tender for those of you who don't sense or feel the presence of God ever, often. If that's just not how you're wired or you haven't been there yet. Like, I want to pray with you. I want to seek after God with you. He says, come. And when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. Is that something you want? Do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good? We want to wait with you. We don't want to send you off to wait alone. Keep coming into the sanctuary. Keep coming and waiting for the Lord. Let's wait together for his presence to come. It's worth the wait. And you know, when he comes, he's going to come possibly different than we expected him to. And it might be unsolicited. It might be when we're least expecting it. You might be blow-drying your hair. So in the meantime... Let's listen to God's stories. Somebody called them the God stops, seeing the observable presence. Um, seeing, stop, S-T-O-P, seeing the observable presence. When you tell the story of your manifest presence experience, it just so happened that God did this. I see how God is arranging that. Then your story becomes my for story and builds my faith that God is manifesting himself. And I can stand in the sunshine of that ray coming down from he heaven, even though my life might be under a cloud right now and I might not be feeling it. We need to share those stories because we overcome, get from manifest to manifest, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So when we declare the good things of God and we say what he has done, it's what Jesus has done, the blood of the lamb, and then it is what we say about it. Identify with this man, Jesus, who has done everything for me. And we thank him for his goodness, even when we don't experience it. We can all say the air is present because I'm breathing. You can also say God is present because I am breathing. I am breathing. And he is doing his good and perfect work, work through every circumstance of your life, of my life. He is working his good. There is nothing that can steal the goodness and the promise from his hand. There is nothing that will stop his plan from unfolding. So I just want to encourage you to spend some time with me, seeking after the manifest presence, but remembering that he declared himself, that we have seen him in his sanctuary and in a dry and weary land where there is no water, he will provide what we need of his presence. Amen.